Well, Oregon's going to have another first-round pick this year in Christian Gonzalez, but how things play out in the NFL draft next year is a test for Dan Lanning and his staff. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. So, great question came in that got me thinking. It was from Free Talking Flock. Elite name, by the way. And you can get in the mailbag too. YouTube comments, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. I've interacted with so many of you that I've lost count at this point, and I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. So, with Gonzo projected as a first rounder, and even in some projections, a top 10 pick, that would keep Oregon's top 10 streak alive in the NFL. They've had a top 10 pick each of the last three years Kayvon Thibodeau last year to the Giants, Panay Sewell 2021 to the Lions and then uh, Herbert the year before to the Chargers. Looking into the future, do you think we have a player that can develop into a top 10 draft pick this season for the 2024 NFL draft? Appreciate the show. I appreciate you and appreciate the question. So the reason I think this is going to be a test for Dan Lanning and his staff is because part of your job as coaches, as a head coach, position coach, as a unit, is to be able to develop players and help them improve. And, And there have been a number of tangible examples where players came to Oregon either as highly recruited players or lower recruited players and developed into NFL caliber prospects, right? Who end up being first round draft picks. And I think that, you know, Dan Lanning, who's never been a head coach before his time here with us at Oregon, this is a very legitimate thing for us to evaluate as fans. How well are he and his staff able to develop prospects whether highly rated or not coming out of high school into first round NFL players, because we saw Mario Cristobal and even going back to Willie Taggart, start bringing in a higher caliber recruits consistently. And a lot of those guys did get developed. Some guys maybe didn't undergo the amount of development we would have liked to have seen such as Justin Herbert, but still Herbert improved from his freshman to his senior year. And he was a top 10 pick. Kayvon Thibodeau came in very highly recruited, whereas Herbert did not developed into a top 10 pick because he was much better his his final year with the Ducks than he was his first year with the Ducks, right? Panay Sewell was really, really good basically from the time he hit campus. But my, my point here is when you look at the best coaching staffs across the country and what they do well, they recruit at a high level, yes, but they also have an ability to generate those those top NFL draft picks, right? Looking at first rounders in in particular. And, and Gonzo looks like he's going to be a first rounder. And yeah, Colorado deserves some credit for that because he was there for the first two years, but he took it up a notch this season at Oregon. Demetrius Martin gets credit for that. Dan Lanning, Tosh Supoy, DC, everybody involved. And so I think now that they're, you know, bringing in their players, so to speak, whether that's from the high school or the portal ranks, and they're going to have the opportunity to fully develop them and see what they can get from them. That's going to be a, a, a test for Dan Lanning and his staff. How can they develop the talent based on you know what they were when they first got to campus compared to what they are when uh, when they're leaving? Brandon Dorless is a great example as as well because he came as a, a three star recruit, you know, decently rated player, 
and he didn't make a big impact early in his career, but he's just gotten better and better and better and better to the point where he's now an all-conference caliber player and will probably get drafted in uh, in, the, in the 2024 NFL draft. But the, the question here and why it's even more of a test is when you look at Oregon's roster right now and who they have at every position group, if I asked you right now, who's the, who's the first-round pick for Oregon in the 2024 NFL draft? Not an easy question to answer, right? Because I, I thought about this for a good amount of time, and I'm just going down the list and saying, I don't see one right now. It doesn't mean Oregon won't have one, but this is where the test for Lanning and his staff will come into play, is there are players who have potential, who I'm about to talk about, to develop into those caliber of players, but they are not right now. They have to elevate their, their draft stock with a higher level of play in 2023. So, I think one guy to watch for is the South Carolina transfer, Jordan Birch, who has the physical potential, but hasn't had that level of, excuse me, output to make him a first round talent in the eyes of NFL GMs and uh, and scouts at this point in time. But the potential is there. And if he develops the way that we would like him to, and he has two years of eligibility remaining, if he should want to use him, I'm pretty sure it's two, might be three, two or three, but if he develops further, he could have that sort of potential. But that's on him, and that's on the coaching staff as well to be able to maximize his talent. And, you know, I'd look at another guy who is a five-star recruit who's underwhelmed to this point in his career, Dante Manning, and say he's got the potential, but he would need a he would need an even bigger leap forward than Birch. Like Birch has to, you know, increase his output. He has to, you know, dominate for stretches of the game if he were to be a first-round pick next year. Manning would have to, I mean, make one of the biggest offseason leaps to where he's going from being a rotational corner to a shutdown first or second team all Pac-12 corner. He's got the twitchiness and athleticism, but the instincts, understanding of the defense technique, that hasn't quite come along yet. But if it does, it's it's possible. But that one, I think, is a little bit more of an outlier. Uh, Dorless, I, I think his development has been tremendous during his time at Oregon, as I said. I don't think that's a first round talent, at least right now that I don't know why I said that. Sorry. Um, I don't think he is a first round talent at this point in time. He's very good. But you look at the the first round defensive tackles. It's Jordan Davis. It's Jalen Carter. It's Aaron Donald. You know, like those are the sorts of guys. Actually, I don't even remember if Donald was a first round pick, but Guys who are getting selected that high coming out of college, you have to be ridiculously dominant. And Dorless is very good, but I don't know if he's shown at this point. Maybe he could make another leap this year. I don't know if he's shown that first round level of dominance. I wouldn't rule it out. I I, I would not rule it out, but I don't I don't think that's particularly likely. I think Birch has got you know more elite physical traits than Dorless does, but Dorless has also got a great array of pass rush moves, uses his hands very well. I could definitely see it. It's just, it's really hard as a defensive tackle to be a first round draft pick. I think that's the biggest thing that uh, the Dorless has working against him to be a first round pick, at least in, uh, in, in 2024. But uh, another guy who, again, these are just names that, that pop into my head of who are Oregon's most productive players who could get on, you know, GMs and scouts radars for being a first round pick next year. And, and therefore increase their production level. You know, th- this all pertains, by the way, to Oregon having success in 2023. Because when you look at the Ducks' best teams, there are NFL caliber players 
and usually a first round draft pick or two all over the place, right? Like that's, that's why I think this, this question is, is a relevant one to answer and a fascinating one to go through. But as you just keep going down the list, it, it gets kind of hard to see guys who could be a first round pick, but I want, I, I, I wanted to go into Bucky Irving, Terrence Ferguson, Bo Nix, Troy Franklin, because those are Oregon's most productive players, right? Those are the most well-known players, kind of like how FanDuel is the most well-known sports book in America. It's number one in America, by the way. The NBA playoffs are almost here. I'm excited, even though my beloved Blazers stink. And now's the perfect time to download FanDuel. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drain. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. You can also bet the Masters over there. I'd highly recommend it. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And by the way, Duck fans, if you have anyone who you think could be a first-round pick in 2024, not down the line, right? Mateo Uyunglele has to be in college for at least three years. So he would be 2025 if he becomes the sort of player that we hope he can be at the edge position for the Ducks. But talking 2024, I, I, I think that it could, I could foresee it coming to an end, but I hope it doesn't in terms of Oregon's streak of having a first round pick in uh, the NFL draft. But Buck Irving is another name that comes to mind because he's Oregon's number one running back. And I really like Bucky Irving. We all like Bucky Irving. He does so many things well. I think his hands need to improve, but is he a first round running back? I don't think so. No, first round running backs are becoming increasingly rare in the NFL and though he could be a productive NFL back in in some ways, I don't think he has the sorts of traits that would lead him to be taken in the first round. So I think even if he has another great year, he probably can't move into that category anyway. I thought T. Ferg was an interesting thought. I've always been very high on him. I think he's an NFL guy, could very easily come out after, after this year's third season. I think for him to move into that discussion, he would need to increase his production dramatically because he's going to be coming out in the same year that Brock Bowers is coming out. How many years are you going to have two tight ends taken in the first round? Probably not very many. That, that, that That's just, just an instinct, just a guess. But I, I think he, he's got that sort of potential and fits that, you know, kind of hybrid tight end wide receiver body type, but definitely more of the tight end, of course, as we've seen. But I think he would need to have a massive, massive season. Could, has has the potential to do so, but I don't know about that. Uh, you know, Bo Nix, this, of course, is last year of college. I, I, don't, I don't think somebody who's used his legs as much as he has in his career and, you know, has the, the three years of football that he had at Auburn, I, I don't think he could play himself into being a first-round pick. I mean, he was a Heisman finalist this year and it is probably – or, or he, he was a Heisman contender, rather – before the the losses and the injury of course but i still don't think he's a guy even though he does have nfl traits i think he could find his way onto a roster for sure can't see him being a first round pick that would take a really special season and and it would i i just think that you know in the eyes of the scouting community if he were going to be a first round pick he he would have done that already i i think they're pretty set on him they've got four years of film now oregon was his best year sure but 
I, I think that he's, you know, second round QB at the at the highest, probably close, probably in the third to fifth round. That'd be uh, that'd be my guess. Now, the one guy who could definitely be the one to be a first round pick next year is Troy Franklin. He would be my most likely selection to go in the first round next year based on what we know right now, right? And this information can change depending on how the 2023 season plays out. But think about what he was in 2021, a starting receiver, kind of a role player, wasn't doing a ton. And then he takes a leap, has like 900 yards receiving, leads the team in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. If he does that sort of jump forward in production again, and Oregon's got a number of weapons, but Franklin's clearly the number one. He's got great chemistry with Bo Nix. Franklin has the sorts of traits to maybe slide into the first round. NFL draft buzz. I, I was just kind of poking around to see you know where 2024 prospects ranked. Had him as the number 25 overall prospect. A lot can change between now and then. But if you ask me right now, which is is what uh, Free Talking Flock is asked, who would be a you know a top ten or first round draft pick in twenty twenty four? Right now, I'd say Troy Franklin's the most likely guy. He's got great hands, good route runner, great speed, agility. He's twitchy, does a lot of things really well. He probably needs to have a massive season from an output standpoint. But wide receivers are a hot commodity in the NFL, so I, I could. I could see that happening, but curious as to your thoughts again, YouTube comments, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. If you think I missed somebody or undersold somebody in that group, uh, by all means, let me know. And I'd love to talk about it here on the show. So let's switch over to basketball here. Uh, and folly Dante, who, according to Matt Prame at 24 seven sports was at, uh, was on campus uh, the other day. He felt that it was notable enough to tweet that out, that he's, you know, still hanging around basically. I, I have conflicting views on uh, on, on Enfali Dante because I love the player. He, he's, he's battled through injuries his entire career. He's been so good and so productive when healthy. I mean, we saw that this year. First team all Pac-12, dominant big man. I, I, have, I have two thoughts, and I really don't know which one I feel stronger about going forward. On the one hand, if he stays – you know that Dane Altman is going to play him. You know he's going to produce, and you know he's got an immense amount of talent. Is he going to develop a jump shot? Maybe, maybe if he's able to have a fully healthy offseason, he could, you know, at least hit a, a twelve to fifteen footer that that would help the offense. But the the other, you know, Jekyll and Hyde kind of angel and the devil on on the shoulder thoughts that that I am having going at it here with with Enfali Dante is whether or not it would be better for for Enfali and the Ducks to go to the NBA for Dante personally it's as healthy as he's ever been now he didn't play at the end of the year but it was a relatively minor injury and he's battled major ones throughout his career. So I wonder if that isn't, you know, uh, helping his draft stock that he played a mostly healthy season, showed his physical dominance and could certainly be, you know, a late kind of a mid to late second round pick in in the NBA draft or at least find his way onto a roster via uh undrafted free agency. But I I also wonder if it isn't better for the Ducks overall for him to leave. And and, and here's why. Dante offensively cannot be 
or he should not be as talented as he is and as efficient as he is the focal point of the offense, right? So UConn wins the national championship this year. And they've got a dominant big man, which kind of pulled me back to the other side when I saw him and had that thought of maybe it'd be best if Dante leaves because when he's there, Dana clearly wants to get him the ball very often. But that's a tricky thing to do because when big men need someone else to get them the ball, the defense can adjust accordingly and it can be kind of a ball stopper a little bit, right? He's not a a great passer. I don't think he's bad, but it's not, you know, he's not Nikola Jokic out there or anything like that. And obviously all of his shots are only worth two points. Now he shoots them very efficiently. I'm not against post touches in general, but Oregon's offensive struggles this year were, were kind of founded upon an inability to shoot. And I thought at times as well, forcing the ball too often to Enfale Dante, where you come down the court, you're just trying to go for a straight post up. And then if the defense knocks it away or if he misses, it's like, well, only two guys touched the ball and only one of them was ever going to to score. And, and that's Dante. And if he comes back, you know that Dana Altman, given what we saw with Will Richardson this year, is going to play him a lot because he knows what he gets from him. He's productive. He gets, uh, you know, Dana Altman knows what 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 he's got there right and if dante comes back i i don't know if if they would change the offensive philosophy not to take him out of it but to make him less of a focal point right that's that's what that's what i worry about basketball wise is having too much of an inside centric offense in a game where we need to shoot the ball better and we need to shoot the ball a little bit more often i think at times so it's a tough push and pull. I if, if he comes back, great, but I don't want to see us forcing the ball to him, right? I, I want him to be used the way that Sunogo is for UConn. Okay, they, they, they use Sunogo in the pick and roll game. They use him in some post-up situations. But when I watched UConn play, I never once felt that they were forcing the ball to him, that they had to get it to him. They gave it to him when it was the right play. And I felt like Oregon's offense far too often when Dante's there because he's so physically imposing and and can get you good looks at the rim, which is why I'm I'm not saying, you know, get rid of his post touches entirely. But I I just wonder what the offense would look like now that Khalil Ware is in the portal. If Dante leaves and Nate Biddle, who came on really strong at the end of this year, if he is your starting big man, and you have one through five who can shoot. I wonder if that wouldn't kind of force Dana Altman's hand philosophically to have a more perimeter focused attack, right? Because think of, you know, Dana Altman's best team that went Elite Eight Final Four. Yeah, they had Chris Boucher, who could step out and shoot, by the way. They had Jordan Bell, who could not. But Jordan Bell wasn't a guy who was getting a lot of post touches in a game, right? His offense primarily came from putbacks and dunks. That's that's what he did. And that formula, I think, is what Dana Altman's teams have, have always looked like when they're at their best. So it, it's a curious thought. Those of you that are big basketball fans out there, uh, leave your thoughts in the comments. I'm I'm interested to see what you guys think because 
if, if Dante comes back, I can't see Dana Altman reducing his role in the offense. Maybe he would because of how this season played out, which was another disappointing one. I mean, still won 20 plus games, but missing the NCAA tournament, that's, you know, Dana Altman has reset the standards there. And I wonder if he doesn't need Dante to decide to go to the NBA to open things back up uh, offensively. Because I, I think Biddle has got tremendous potential. I mean, really really tremendous potential can can score at all three levels mid-range shoot the three needs to up his three-point percentage around the rim defensively he's got great presence so i i just i i wonder uh by the way before i get to a couple more things busy busy pack show today gotta shout out oregon baseball here so over the weekend they swept arizona which is great but in a normal world, they would have just taken two of three, which also would have been, would have been good, right? College baseball, you're just trying to stack up series wins. Win two out of three, win two out of three, throwing a sweep here and there. Before you know it, you look up and, and you're making a regional appearance and, and moving on and such. But Oregon on Saturday, they, uh, they finished off the sweep on Sunday with an 8-5 win. But in game two against Arizona in Tucson, they were down 10 to nothing. They came back and won 13 to 11, which is just college baseball personified. It's it's a lot about bats. You know, once you get to the College World Series, you need some elite arms. And I, I think that's, you know, where Oregon baseball has been lacking the last couple of years. But once again, they've got the bats. There are no, no concerns about scoring runs. It's all all about whether or not the pitching can uh, can come through in a big way. Um Back to basketball for a moment, but on the other side of things for Kelly Graves and uh, and, and the Ducks. So they are going to need to hit the recruiting trail, but also the transfer portal pretty hard just from a volume standpoint. They had a player leave in the middle of the season. They had an injury before the season, and their numbers were all already a bit low just from a, a, a bodies, you know, healthy scholarship body standpoint this year, a little bit like the men's side. But they they've now lost uh, India Rogers declared for the WNBA draft, which best of luck. She's an awesome player. Love watching her play. But Tahina Pow Pow is in the portal. So for the Ducks and Kelly Graves, that is I mean, you've got a lot of production to replace and you were already going to need to hit the port. Like I, I could see Kelly Graves adding five i'm not kidding here five or six players in the portal this offseason like that could be a legitimate target because if you have no pow pow and no rogers and you're already dealing with essentially a seven player rotation by the end of the year you're sitting at like five scholarship players right now that and that that's that's not enough and i don't know what he's you know thinking of on the on the true freshman front but um yeah, Tina Pow Pow in the portal. She she had a very up and down year. You know, she was ice cold for a while. And then at the end of the year, when Oregon started to play better and made a little run in the WNIT to the quarterfinals, she was lights out. And, you know, she she played for the Ducks for the last couple of years. has been really good. And I, I, I understand why she, you know, seek out a new situation with how this year went. But disappointing for sure because she was – kind of in line to be the number one going into next year but now you're going to need chance gray and grace van sluten to really step up in their in their sophomore seasons but they, they need to hit the portal and uh and get some players who can come in and contribute right away and and give you kind of that that veteran presence of uh, of sorts um 
Led to a question, by the way, a rare women's basketball question, but always welcome, from Bud Everts. With Pow Pow going into the transfer portal, it seems like the Ducks women's basketball team has lost an inordinate number of highly recruited and solid players over the last few years, more than have transferred in. Is that an anomaly or are there reasons for this? I really don't think it's it's any different than a bunch of other programs. You know, I mean, for Michigan men's basketball, Hunter Dickinson's in the portal. I, I legitimately did not know that. Oregon could be interested there if Dante ends up leaving, by the way. But I I think what, you know, Kelly Graves is dealing with is the same thing that every other coach in the country is dealing with. If a player has a reason to leave, he or she's probably going to. That's just kind of where it is. And you know, it's not as if Pow Pow came here as a highly rated recruit and then, you know, played for just one season and and then left. Right. Like she's she's been here for the last couple of years, two or three. I can't uh, can't remember. Well, let me let me pull it up real quick. Um, but it, it, it's not as if she. Um, yeah. She, I mean, she spent three years with with the Ducks and is now going going to go elsewhere. So I I, I don't see. Her as someone, you know, she was a five-star recruit and she had a really productive and and successful career with the Ducks. And now she's going to go play her final year or two of eligibility elsewhere. I, I think that's just kind of the world that we're in. I don't think it's, you know, a, an anomaly for the players that they've lost or uh, had transfer out. That's that's just the world that, that we live in now. I don't think they're getting hit harder than, you know, other programs in the country, for instance. But good question. Love the women's basketball question. Um, okay, final thing for today. Loved this one. This might be one of my favorite questions ever. Tanya Shipley via the DMs. Mailbag question. If you had to cast the next big Marvel movie, think Avengers in terms of cast. I did. What duck football players are being cast as what heroes in the great Marvel Oregon Duck reboot? Yep, testing your ability to answer all questions, even though I know you will. Darn right I will. I'm a huge Marvel fan, by the way. Everything post-Endgame is pretty mid-tier. Um, like, there's some, you know, No Way Home was good, but eh, everything else, like, eh, it's fine. Um, okay, so so I went with kind of the, the biggest names from my time loving the MCU. And, and who would be who? I put real thought into this. I actually texted a buddy of mine who's a big Marvel fan. Well, I called him first. <laughs> and he's and he said, dude, I'm at work. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Normal people jobs, uh, which I do not have. And I'm very grateful for. So I came up with six characters to cast for current members of, we'll just call it Oregon football, and you'll see why. Nick Fury, of course. Iron Man and Captain America, Thor, Star-Lord and Spider-Man. And we'll throw the we'll throw the Hulk, we'll throw the Hulk in there too cuz I think that's a that's a pretty clear one. Uh so right off the top, Nick Fury would be cast or would be portrayed by Phil Knight because he's the guy who's behind the scenes pulling the strings People know who he is, but he's not the most public guy all the time. But, you know, he is, but he isn't. He just kind of, you know, does his work behind the cameras, right, most of the time. So Phil is Nick Fury. Iron Man is Bo Nix, most well-known face, gives it his all, 
makes the ultimate sacrifice. I go back to Bo Nix playing through the injury in the Utah game last year, stepping up and running on that injured leg to, to clinch the game on, on third down against Utah. Thought Iron Man was the perfect description there. I think Dan Lanning is the guy who's my favorite superhero, Captain America. Dan Lanning, leader of men, decisive in his convictions, and has made a controversial decision or two. Dan Lanning went for it on fourth down, deep in his own territory. Some people didn't like that. Captain America decided not to sign on to the Sokovia Accords, led the charge the other way. Pretty controversial. There are people who support him. There are people who are on the other side. And I think uh, I think Cap and Dan Lanning, I think it's a pretty good fit right there. Uh, Thor is Brandon Dorless because going into this year, we need his strength in order to thrive. You know, there are some villains that uh, the MCU heroes go up against where Thor is needed because he's just stronger. Well, Brandon Dorless is going to be, you could put Jordan Birch in here uh, potentially as well, but we are going to need his strength, his muscle to thrive. That's that's what that's just the lay of the land. So I think Thor is a pretty good fit there. Um, Star Lord is Bucky Irving. This is my my buddy who I texted. That's his favorite superhero. Bucky Irving is Star Lord because he's shifty, he's crafty, and he's always effective. Even though he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, he's not the strongest, he's not the most powerful. I mean, Star Lord. Once he gives up his powers in the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, he's just a guy, but he's still able to hold his own. How? He's shifty. He's crafty. He's nifty. He does all this sort of stuff. Bucky Irving, not the biggest, not the fastest, not the strongest, but man, is he effective. I think that's a perfect marriage right there. That's that's the best one of, uh, of the group. I should have saved it for last, but Hulk is definitely Jackson Powers Johnson because Hulk is kind of the big bruising protector, right? And JPJ looks to be Oregon's new center for this year. Now, you could put Josh Connerly here as well because he may very well, may very well be Oregon's left tackle protecting Bo Nix. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with JPJ as Hulk because he's the center. He's now the leader of the offensive line, and he's uh, also very big and uh, very strong. And finally, Spider Man. Loved by all, powers a little underrated, but when when teamed up with the right mentor and the right supporting cast, his powers are surprisingly good. It's Troy Franklin. It's Troy Franklin because we all love Troy. I love the energy. I love the passion. I love the plays that he makes, everything that he does. But when he first got to Oregon, it wasn't quite maximizing his powers, right? That was like OG Tom Holland, Spider-Man, right? But then you put him with the right mentor, Tony Stark gives him a better suit, makes him a little bit more powerful. Troy Franklin, you put him with Bo Nix, Kenny Dillingham, rest of the offense, new philosophy, and his powers blossom. And now we really get to see what he's capable of. If you think I missed anybody, or if you've got an idea, by all means, shout it out. I loved that question. That was that might be the most fun I've had in the show all year. So we'll end it on that high note. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go ducks.